after digesting the news, the equity market continued to rally. What that tells you is that the market doesn't quite necessarily believe the Fed. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The Fed delivered on an expected rate hike at its latest meeting this week, but in the central bank's accompanying commentary, it was far less transparent on where rates go from here. In today's episode, portfolio managers Chris McKinney, Alfred Lee, and your host Mark Rays discuss the market reaction to the Fed's latest decision and why investors are perhaps unconvinced that rates will rise much further. They also dive into where food and energy prices may go this year and suggest ways investors can hedge against these more volatile categories within the consumer price index. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETF Weekly Insight Podcast with our team of experts. I'm today's host, Mark Reyes, head of product for BMO Global Asset Management. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for listening in. We really appreciate you doing so. I'm joined today by Alfred Lee and Chris McKinney, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thanks to both of you for doing the call. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Great. Well, appreciate it. Let's just get right into things here. Another big announcement in the markets where we have the Fed raising rates by another quarter point and as well making some indications that perhaps they're not as done as people were thinking they might be. Now, we've just released our BMO ETF Outlook report, came out earlier this week. Alfred, you talked about inflation. Where does the Fed stand in terms of the fight against inflation? And to tie that into portfolio ideas, how do you position fixed income? Thanks. Sure. Maybe I could just kind of set the stage by just giving a quick recap in terms of uh, what the Fed disclosed in its uh, recent meetings now. But essentially, the Fed, as you mentioned, raised its overnight rate or the upper band by 25 basis points. So the upper band is now 4.75. That was largely anticipated by the market. But overall, you know, when you look at the statement, the Fed does seem like it's holding its cards pretty close to its chest at, at this moment. The key phrase that I think a lot of the market focused on was that it anticipates ongoing increases in its overnight rate, which is a little bit counter to what the market believes. Um, so when I look at the overnight index uh, market right now, the consensus seems to be no different than prior to the meeting, which is another 25 basis points across either the next meeting or the meeting after that, which also seems to be what the market is pricing in for the terminal rate, which is 5%. But overall, you know, when you look at how the market is trading after the news, it did seem like the market traded down initially. But then now, after digesting the news, the equity market continued to rally. And what that tells you is that the market doesn't quite necessarily believe the Fed, especially when you look at the underlying technicals of the how the market is trading after the Fed meeting. It did seem like the technology stocks were leading the way, which, again, 
uh, does suggest that the market tends to believe that we are at least close to uh, reaching that terminal value. Um, but you know, when you look at it from the context of the Federal Reserve, um, I think why they don't want to use any kind of definitive language at this point is just because, you know, one, there is the reopening of China right now. Uh, and typically when an economy opens up, especially one that's as big as China, uh, typically when they open up, you have demand outstripping supply, which could be inflationary over the short run, even though, you know, China opening up over the long run, it should be deflationary, given that they are the manufacturing hub of the world. But I think overall, you know, when you look at evidence like, you know, CPI trending in the right direction, uh, you look at what companies are um, saying during the earnings as well, uh, which is, you know, a common theme sent, uh, tends to be a buildup in inventory now. So that tends to be kind of deflationary over the long run. Um, so there de- definitely is some you know, disinflationary forces at work, uh, which means that, you know, a lot of the Fed, you know, changes in their overnight rate over the last year is has been effective in terms of, you know, cooling inflation. Uh, but it is, you know, a little bit early to declare uh, a victory over inflation, but we definitely are trending in the right um, uh, direction at this point. But one good thing uh, for the bond market, I would say, is when you look at real rates. So if you look at the differential between uh, the year-over-year CPI and the one-year yield in the U.S., it is trending in the right direction. It is uh, the less or the least negative it's been for a very long time. It's becoming less and less negative, which is going to be very positive for the bond market. So one trade idea that we've talked about in the past was barbells. So I'm not going to go too deep into it, given that we are we have discussed uh, this trade idea quite a bit. But essentially what that trade idea is, is combining a short-term bond ETF and a long-term bond ETF as more of a structured way of taking on that duration risk uh, with the inversion of the yield curve recently. Um, I think it de- definitely makes sense in taking some duration risk. Um, so the trade that we've been recommending is taking credit risk on the short end of the curve through an ETF like ZCS, uh, which is our BMO short corporate bond index ETF. That allows you to maximize yield on the short end of the curve, but then taking on duration risk through an ETF like our ZFL, which is our uh, BMO long federal bond uh, index ETF. That allows investors to play the inversion of the yield curve. Also, with the correlation between long bonds and equities um, starting to break at this point, um, I think it's a good position to take in order to mitigate some of the equity beta risk in your portfolio as well. Uh, but outside of that barbell idea, I think you know investment grade is really the sweet spot in the fixed income space right now. If rates do remain elevated, and I think there's a good chance that you know rates remain restrictively high for quite some time, at least for the majority of the year, I think quality issuers are going to have a much easier time in refinancing that debt and rolling over that debt compared to you know sub investment grade issuers. So. You know, yield to maturity on investment grade debt is looking much more attractive than it's been in a very long time. Um, you know, not necessarily at 1980 levels, obviously, where you know bonds were outcompeting equities. But I think from a risk-adjusted standpoint, investment grade bonds um, are definitely looking very attractive at this point. So, um, two ETFs to consider: uh, ZMU, which is our BMO U.S. Midterm Investment Grade Bond ETF. Uh, that one is hedged back to the Canadian dollar. That's yielding about 4.9 percent. And ZCB, which is the BMO corporate bond index ETF, that has yield to maturity about 4.7% right now. So again, you know, getting exposure to the investment grade space, uh, that potentially is a sweet spot in the fixed income space right now. Uh, but those are two ETFs to consider.
Thanks for that update, Alfred. Let's stay on the topic of inflation, where you know we are seeing a downward trend finally uh, in both Canada and the U.S. in terms of CPI. However, it's certainly not coming down uh, in a uniform manner. So where do you see persistent issues with inflation? And when you consider investor portfolios, how can they hedge using ETFs in these areas? Sure, I'll uh, take that one, Mark. And we have seen, as you said, inflation, at least the headline numbers coming down a little bit, um, although coming off very high levels, obviously, and still relatively high. Uh, core CPI measures, for the most part, still trending around their, their high values over the last few months. But if we take a look at the components of CPI, at least we'll start here in Canada. If we take a look at the most recent reading of year-over-year uh, -year CPI in December, that came in at 6.3%. Uh, again, here in Canada, so the year-over-year -year price increases overall at 6.3%. The only two sectors uh, of that reading that came in higher than that 6.3 are the food component, uh, which was a little bit over 10%, uh, and shelter at 7%. So those were the two that are still you know, above that 6.3, above the overall CPI number and not coming down you know, maybe as quickly as, uh, as the market is hoping for. If we take a look specifically at, at the food component there, again, really the highest one at, again, over 10%, a lot of different reasons um, driving that. Uh, that inflation number, you know, initially there was the supply disruptions that were related to COVID. You know, that's a little bit in the rearview mirror now. That was the quote unquote transitional inflation that uh, I think central banks were hoping for. Some of those supply disruptions have come back. However, Russians' incursion into Ukraine last year certainly not doing any favors there either in terms of supply. Not only just taking supply out of the market and for things like wheat and, and finished foods, but also for the components that go into uh, growing food like potash, fertilizers and these sort of things. A lot of that supply globally comes out of that region in the world. And so with the war going on there, a lot of disruption in terms of getting that out to food producers and food suppliers. So those input costs um, going up as well as just the actual um, you know, fertilizer itself being in, in shorter supply. We've also seen poor crop yields due to weather. You know, weather in the last year or two, uh, in particular this year, hasn't been, um, I guess, as predictable as it usually is. So some of those um, uh, food crops not yielding as much as they typically do. And so that also affecting supply of food globally. And then, of course, just higher transportation costs. Um, if the food is grown and all those components are grown, just getting it to the end user um, has, has the cost of that has significantly risen as well due to things like energy costs, input costs, um, as well as workers. And so just a lot of different reasons driving this food inflation number to stay relatively sticky. In terms of how we can take advantage of that in the portfolio or, or investors hedging against that um, you know, number staying relatively high, you can take a look at something like the recently launched BMO Global Agriculture ETF, ticker is ZEAT, ZEAT. Um, this provides access to companies in the agriculture sector, both food producers and distributors. Uh, as well, at the same time, there's a profit profitability screen uh, on the constituents that make it into this ETF, and that identifies the highest margin companies. Uh, amongst peers in each of those industries or those subcomponents. And so if we think about 
uh, expense pressures staying relatively high, um, you know, that quality screen really helps identify those companies that will be able to either pass on costs to the end user or have some buffer in that margin, uh, their, their operating margin, in order to absorb some of those higher expenses and um, maintain a healthy cash flow from operations. And so a nice portfolio that's exposed to this sector that should be uh, hopefully resilient to continued cost and expense pressures um, and is able to provide that exposure to investors of this sector where, again, uh, things are relatively high and looking to stay that way, um, at least for some time. One other benefit of this particular ETF is that the correlation of this sector has really dropped to the broad market uh, in the last year or so. And so just providing that correlation and diversification benefit into an overall balanced portfolio as a completion element makes a lot of sense from a portfolio construction standpoint. And then one other sector or focus that investors might have that are concerned about CPI staying relatively high is taking a look at global infrastructure. So ZGI is BMO's Global Infrastructure Index ETF, uh, providing exposure to uh, North American listed but global companies in the infrastructure space. I, I bring this up because many of these companies have revenues that are indexed to CPI or indexed to some other inflation measure. And so it provides a nice hedge against CPI or inflation staying persistently high. You know, maybe it's not going to stay at six, but if it comes back down to four or five, even in a three handle, um, you know, it's not at the Fed's or the central bank's uh, 2% target. And so, you know, staying persistently high, um, if you have exposure to companies that have revenues that are indexed to CPI, you know, it doesn't really matter um, the reasons as to why CPI is staying high, but they're able to index those uh, revenues and therefore increase uh, those revenues according to what CPI is doing. And so that provides, again, a nice hedge against CPI staying relatively high going forward. Great. Thanks for that update, Chris. Save the date. The BMO ETF's Virtual Economic Forum is coming to you on February the 8th. Join industry-leading experts as they share their rapid-fire perspectives and insights for the year ahead in a can't-miss 90-minute event. Register now at bmoetfs.ca. We'll stay kind of in the same area, where, of course, we've been having a discussion on inflation and the Fed certainly keeping interest rates at a higher level. You know, mentioned off the top that perhaps the market doesn't quite believe it uh, with index swaps, certainly looking at their pricing cuts in later this year. So what do you believe? And if we can turn the conversation a little bit, what equity factor would you position with in today's markets? Thanks. I'll start off by saying that I get why the market doesn't want to believe the Fed at this point. Um, you know, first they said there was no inflation, there was inflation. And then they said inflation was going to be transitory, and then inflation became runaway inflation. So I get why the market doesn't want to believe the Fed at this point. But I think in this case, you, know, you have to believe the Fed to some degree. I, I think, you know, when you look at the terminal value, whether it's, you know, 5% or 525 or whatever it may be, um, when the Fed hits that level, uh, for them to downshift right away and start cutting rates, um, which is what the index, uh, overnight index swap market is pricing in. Um, I think that's basically a, an admission by the Fed that they got it wrong and they over-tightened. So um, I think the likelihood is probably that the Fed maintains rates to close to where they are. 
um, again, whether it's 475 or you know, 5, 525, whatever it may be. Um, and this lets the economy digest the impact of higher rates. Typically, it takes 18 to 24 months for higher interest rates to um, you know, impact the economy. So I think you know, the prudent move is letting rates sit where they are rather than start cutting rates right away. There is you know, a lagged effect of increasing rates and decreasing rates. Uh, Also, keep in mind that the Fed also has other tools in in order to, you know, affect monetary conditions. So right now they have quantitative tightening going in the background, which they could speed up or they could uh, slow down as well. They also have forward guidance as well. So they have other tools in order to manage uh, monetary conditions as well. Uh, But in terms of which factors are the best positioned, I think quality is, is very well positioned for 2023. Uh, for the first half of the year, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, the equity market rally that we're seeing, you know, a lot of that strength carry on for for the first couple of months. So potentially, you know, in the first half of the year, I wouldn't be surprised to see a factor like value outperform, uh, given that it tends to be higher beta. So something like our BMO uh, US value index ETF, I think that potentially can outperform in the first half of the year. But I think when the second half of the year comes, I think there's going to be a shift uh, from investor focus, from you know the macro to the micro. So what I mean by that is, in the first half of the year, we're overly concerned about what the Fed is going to do. In the back half of the year, I think the focus is going to be more on the microeconomics. So um, the focus on you know the strength of company balance sheets. Um, so because of that, I think quality is going to be well positioned. So keep in mind, you know, when it comes to the quality factor, uh, we're screening for three specific metrics: high return on equity low earnings variability, low financial leverage as well. So the first two metrics, high return on equity and low earnings variability, what that allows the ETF to do is essentially screen for you know, blue chip companies that have durable business models, uh, tend to have competitive advantages within the respective fields. Um, so have a better chance in pushing inflation costs to the end consumer. The low debt aspects, so low financial leverage, um, I think that's a key component as well. So these companies are going to carry less debt. So when it comes time to refinancing and rolling rolling over that debt, they're going to have less of an issue. So in 2022, quality underperformed, uh, but I would say it had less to do with the screening metrics. It had more to do with its weighting towards um, technology. Um, so when you look at the technology names in ZUQ, uh, which is our uh, BMO US high quality index ETF, all the technology companies in there tend to be you know, cash-rich mega-cap companies. So think along the lines of Google, Apple, Microsoft. Um, I would say, you know, last year, the entire tech sector was indiscriminately sold. Uh, but if rates stabilize at this point, I think that's going to be supportive of the tech sector, which is, you know, certainly what we've seen so far in the first month of this year. So I think quality is going to be well-positioned because of that, you know, the headwind being removed in technology, but also because of that screening metric that we find in uh quality as well. So ZUQ, I think, is going to be well positioned in, in 2023. Great. Thanks for that update as well, Alfred. Still got a couple more questions for you, gentlemen. Chris, you covered sectors in the ETF Outlook Report, and you certainly focused in on energy, uh, where we're still seeing, of course, extremely strong profits. So ExxonMobil come in with an all-time high. If you look ahead then, what does this mean for these companies going forward? And how can investors effectively position themselves in this sector? Yeah, we certainly have seen some strong earnings recently. You mentioned 
ExxonMobil with their all-time record uh, profit. We've also seen Chevron increase their dividend. They also announced a $75 billion buyback program. So returning cash to investors through buybacks as well. So very, very cash generative companies, this earnings cycle coming out of the energy sector. Um, of course, this leads investors to think, uh, you know, maybe the trade is over. Maybe I've already missed out on on this on the on the boat here. Um, and if we take a look forward, um, you know, certainly, uh, 2023 uh, revenues and income are projected to be, you know, a little bit lower than 2022, which again was a record year anyway. Um, but if we take a look at, you know, relative to history, even 2023 at a lower you know, earnings profit than we saw in 2022 is still projected to be the second highest in the past, you know, 15, 20 years or so. Um, and part of the reason for that is persistently high energy prices. First of all, you know, we have the back on the back of, uh, again, the Russian-Ukraine war causing a, a disturbance in, in global energy supply. But really, as investors look towards 2023, the bigger driver uh, I think of of higher energy prices is the China reopening story, and so you have you know the world's second biggest economy um, that's essentially been closed for the last three years or so with COVID zero policies, um, you know starting to reopen. Think about all the catch up expenditure that we saw in Western in Western economies after COVID lockdowns ended, whether that's travel, whether that's just dining out, um, all of those things, whether that's buying more goods. Um, all of that leads to energy consumption. And so the ex expectation of China reopening that economy um, leads to, to generally forecasted relatively high energy prices. Lower than where we have been, you know, with record high levels. Uh, we're still sitting at 80 plus dollars here for, for West Texas Intermediate, but coming down even slightly into the $70 range. You know, Western oil companies still very, very cash generative at that level. Looking forward to a relatively strong sector, but again, weaker than what it has been, you know, that really lends itself to a strategy that employs uh, a covered call strategy on top of it. So our newly launched BMO Covered Call Energy ETF, ticker ZWEN, I think actually sets up very well in this type of environment where, again, you have cash generative companies that are going to produce a, a decent return stream uh, in terms of earnings, in terms of profits, and in terms of dividends. Um, relatively high dividend yields. I mentioned buyback programs as well. Coming into an environment that's a slight slowdown from what we've seen in the past, that means share prices are probably not expected to uh, perform as well as they have the last two years. You know, it's not just last year that energy did well. 2021 energy companies did very, very well also. And so we've seen very high returns for two years running out of this sector. And so uh, as you expect those returns to start moderating, you know, adding that additional income layer through a covered call overlay while sacrificing some of that potential uh, growth in order to get that income stream um, starts to make a lot of sense. If we take a look at, at ZWEN itself, you know, it's a global exposure, um, largely uh, U.S. listed, North American listed companies. Um, about 55, 60% of the overall portfolio is in those U.S. large cap names. We mentioned Exxon and Chevron already. But those other large names in the U.S., you have your larger Canadian names, Enbridge, uh, Suncor, TC Energy as well are in there. And then the largest global players and, and everyone's familiar with uh, BP, Total uh, and the like there as well. So you get a nice 
mega cap exposure to the, the largest global uh, companies in the energy sector. And as mentioned, we're adding on a covered call overlay on top of that. And what that does, again, is it trades away some of that potential growth in the future for the certainty of cash flow today. And so you get a very, very high distribution yield. Um, so for income-oriented investors, um, we think this is a, a great place to be for 2023 um, and has the potential to, to offer higher returns uh, again this year on the back of 2022. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Would you like to hear more from BMO Global Asset Management's team of investment experts? Check out the BMO Market Insights podcast. These timely, client-friendly episodes deliver the latest news and commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing, with a focus on exchange-traded funds. Available now at bmoetfs.ca, that's bmoetfs.ca, or on your favorite podcast platform. Just one more question for today. We certainly had a lot of advisor interest picking up on our new innovation ETFs. So the BMO ARK Innovation Fund, uh, ticker ARKK, that we just launched late last year, as well as a couple others alongside that, certainly catching advisor interest. So with the backdrop of market unease that you've talked about, can you just uh, give us your comments on what's driving these returns? Thanks. Yeah, so ARK is definitely, you know, it's been strong out of the gate so far. In January um, 2023, I think a good part of this is uh, has to deal with you know the Fed and the expectations that we are close to ending its uh, rate hikes, or at least we are very close. And as we mentioned before, hitting that terminal value. Um, but when you look at you know which areas are the most sensitive to rising rates, it's really you know what I would consider those long duration stocks, right? So. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, the technology sector tends to be very sensitive to rising rates. Uh, small caps also tend to be very sensitive to rising rates as well. Um, and when you look at the universe that Kathy Wood likes to invest in, um, that tends to be, you know, the majority tends to be, you know, longer duration in nature. So uh, another reason I think is, you know, in 2022, the likelihood is that, as I alluded to earlier, um, a lot of the technology companies were oversold, um, just given that the technology sector was kind of sold indiscriminately. We are seeing, you know, some of the stocks in the ARC portfolio kind of move back towards what we would consider, you know, that quote unquote fair value. Um, you know, I think when you look at the returns so far uh, that we've seen in January, I think this is the best month that she's had on record. So uh, this is going back for the U.S. listed ARC, uh, which dates all the way back to October 2014. So just to note, you know, the ARC portfolio or the ARC ETF that we have is the same identical portfolio. Uh, the benefit, however, is that Canadian investors get to transact in Canadian dollars. So they do save on that FX cost. Um, but I think, you know, looking at ARC, uh, it could be very interesting here, especially if rates really stabilize. Even if the Fed starts cutting rates uh, in 2024, um, I think potentially, you know, a lot of the headwinds for a lot of those, you know, innovation stocks and, you know, stocks in that universe, I think potentially the headwinds could be easing at this point. So it's certainly worth a look. Just looking at some of the holdings in the portfolio, um, I think a lot of the names in the portfolio tend to be, you know, game changers or disruptors, as um, Kathy Wood likes to position them as. But one thing I will note is that, you know, I think investors that are looking at ARC, 
it tends to be a longer term play. So the time horizon tends to be, you know, seven to 10 years, I would say. Um, so investors do have to understand that, you know, the performance will ebb and flow. Uh, but from a portfolio construction point of view, um, I think, you know, a lot of Canadian investors tend to be very conservatively uh, positioned with, you know, a lot of dividend stocks, a, a lot of, you know, lower volatility stocks as well. So this is a good way of getting growth in the portfolio. It's very complementary to, you know, a typical Canadian's portfolio. I don't think it's necessarily a core position, but as a satellite position, you know, let's say it's five to 10% of a portfolio. I think that could go a long way in just, you know, adding a little bit of growth to a typical Canadian's portfolio. Thanks for that, Alfred. And certainly a lot of interest coming in. And as you say, you really do need to take the long-term view here. Uh, but if we are dealing with any kind of persistent inflation, uh, I do think you need to keep your portfolio working even harder. So an allocation to to a growth ETF like ARKK is, is something that can really uh, help that portfolio over the longer term. So with that, that's all the questions we have for today. So I want to thank everyone for listening in. Uh, we appreciate your time. Of course, thanks to both. Alfred and Chris, really covering a lot of ground today. Uh, a lot of topical information for sure uh, with Fed activity as well. So thanks for your answers. And with that, I just want to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Mark Rays, Alfred Lee, and Chris McKaney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about the BMO Long Federal Bond Index ETF, ticker ZFL, which gives investors access to a diversified portfolio of longer-duration government bonds. Our experts also discussed the BMO Global Agriculture ETF, ticker ZEAT, as well as the BMO Covered Call Energy ETF, ticker ZWEN, which invest in food producers and distributors and energy blue chips, respectively, with the Covered Call Energy Fund also providing investors additional income generation alongside direct equity exposure. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the new and improved Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.